0: I'm working on standing in my own space and at the same time i'm shining my light out to show the world what is what is around us and what is coming and hopefully that will be that will add some guidance or it can be guiding but it's up to the people coming people seeing it to decide what it is
1: Welcome to episode 12 of Find Your Light, the podcast that helps women plus in theater take center stage in lives they love. I am your host and emerging podcaster, Emily Stamitz, so emerging that I've already recorded this interview once without plugging in my microphone. Amazing. <laughs> so here's the second go and here's what it is today. I have a favor to ask of you. This podcast has reached the 100 mark, with over 100 people downloading each and every episode, and hopefully they're enjoying the heck out of it. Now, I'm really proud of that benchmark, especially since it is completely organic. I have not spent a single penny marketing this puppy. So here comes the ask. If you love this podcast the way that I do, if you think this work is important and you believe that it should be continued and you think that we should be recording the work and words and wisdom of Women Plus in Theater. I need your support. I put together a list of some ways that you can support this podcast without spending a penny. And I'm gonna give them to you in order from the thing that takes a split second to the things that take a little bit longer. So here we go. Number one, subscribe. No matter what podcast platform you're on, just hit the subscribe button. It's totally free. It makes sure that this is that new episodes pop into your phone or whatever you're listening on as soon as they're available. And the more subscriptions we have on this podcast, the more likely it is that it's higher up on the list when people are searching for podcasts that they were are going to love, that are going to inspire them and teach them and make their lives better. Number two, in the same vein, please leave us a rating. Again, the more ratings we have, the higher up we are on the lists when people are searching. Hopefully you're rating us like a, at least a four out of five. Um, But any rating can be helpful. So please, please, please just click on those stars. I know it can feel obnoxious when iTunes is like, please leave a rating for this podcast. And you're like, man, man, just like, you know, you dismiss it. I get it. I do that all the time too. But please don't dismiss it this time. Please leave us a rating. It's really, really helpful. And it takes a split second. Number three, similarly, leave us a review. Even a word or three words or a sentence can be incredibly helpful. The thing is that potential listeners are going to believe what you say about this podcast a thousand times more than they'll believe anything that I say about it. So please tell people what you get out of this and why you think they should listen to. Number four, share tell your communities about this podcast. Tell your colleagues, tell your best friend, tell your best friend's dog, send an email blast, bring it up in casual conversation, be as obnoxious as you want to be about telling people that this work exists, that is accessible, and that they can take part in it too. Number five, Tell me about it. If you love this podcast, I need to hear about it. I do this totally for free. I squeeze it in around all of the other obligations I have to the businesses that I run and my family. Um, And it is, I love doing the interviews, but to be honest, audio editing is like not a thing that I get a lot of joy out of. So the only thing that keeps me coming into the editing room every day or every week is knowing that it makes a difference and knowing that it's worth it. And the only way I can know that is if you tell me that it is. So please, please, please send me an email, reach out on social media. If you love this podcast, please tell me. It really makes a huge difference. And if you think that there are ways I can be doing better, please tell me. I'm happy to incorporate your feedback. I want to hear how to make this exactly what our community needs from it. Okay, number six. If you have an extra half an hour a week, maybe an hour, and you want to help with the podcast, let me know. In particular, a place that I could really use some assistance is in social media. Um, hopefully, eventually, this podcast will have a budget and can pay you for that. But in the meantime, if you're if you want to just put together like a post a post a day or one post a week to help people engage with this content and find out what they're curious about, um, that would be extremely helpful for me. Okay. Number seven. And this is, this is me like casting a big vision, sending out a big white net, putting this into the universe. I would be thrilled if this entire podcast wasn't resting on my voice. So if you would like to host an episode or host an interview that could be shared as an episode on this podcast, please reach out to me. I'm completely open to that possibility. You can email me, podcast at emilystamets.com. Maybe there is someone in your community that you think would have amazing answers to these questions, or maybe there's someone that you want to have a deeper conversation with and you just need a good excuse to do it. When you email me, I will send you my interview packet, which has all of the tips that I have about how to get people ready for their interview and all of the questions that I ask. So I'm happy to send that off to you and get your interviews back in exchange and hopefully we'll get them out there as episodes. Um, I can't promise that everything gets shared as an episode. I'm currently sitting on about 20 recorded interviews of my own at this point, but I really would love to crowdsource this and make this a community project. So, If that is interesting to you, reach out to me. All right, so all of those things are totally free. Like I said, they are everything from a split second, touching a star on the ratings to rate this podcast to hosting your own hour-long interview. If any of that is interesting to you, it's all accessible to you, please do it. Please, 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 please. That is absolutely going to make the difference in making sure this podcast continues to exist and continues to increase in quality and in impact. Okay, now on to the interview. My interview today is with Jessica Hanna, which in the interest of full disclosure, I worked with Jess when she was at the bootleg theater in Los Angeles, the theater company I was working with at the time, did several shows and a couple of smaller events at the bootleg. She is phenomenal to work with and wonderful to talk to, and I think she's awesome. So here's who she is. Jessica Hanna is a Los Angeles-based theater maker. She's a new member of the Kilroys, which we talk about quite a bit in the interview. Um, It is an activist artist group working for gender parity in the American theater, which is super cool. She has worked as an actor, director, choreographer, and producer all over Los Angeles with a ton of companies, including Open Fist, Sacred Fools, The Evidence Room, The Ford Amphitheater, Occidental College, Atwater Village, a ton, ton, ton of companies, some really, really good work that she's done. Um, She co-founded the Bootleg Theater and was producing and managing director there through 2018. So that was uh, like 12-ish years, I believe, that she was there. Her focus as a freelance director and producer has been on new work development, which I love. Most recently, she was at Cal State University Long Beach, guest directing Lauren Gunderson's The Revolutionists. So here is my conversation with Jess Hanna. Here we go.
0: Oh, yeah. The killer eyes. They're very excited. No, I'm, I'm super excited to be part of it. Um. Okay. So the Kilroy's is uh, the short version is they are a group of activist artists, um, women identifying at this point, um, who, uh, are working for gender parity in the American theater, but through guerrilla actions and the main action, um, that they have done so far is uh, something called the list. And it is a list of the most, uh, or the most pop uh, popular it, it, it we do a survey basically of, um, nationally, uh, with, artist mm, artistic directors, literary managers, um, basically anyone who's reading new plays that we can find, um, who's read at least, they have to have read at least 20 in the past year or seen readings of, but we're looking for the most un and underproduced plays by women, trans and non-binary writers. Mm-hmm. And then we, uh, amount, put all that data into one place and decide what the percentage of that list is. And then highly publicize that through social media and get the list out as a resource with, so that the, 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 it's basically an, it was an answer to, I think it like, I don't know, six or seven years ago at some DC theater conference, some old white guy artist director stood up on stage and answered the question like, why aren't there more plays by women? When he said, well, there aren't any, <laughs>
1: Uh, you know uh, this uh, like basically like you know you know you the want to that what? in the yeah. eyeball with a spoon exactly violent exactly I for my no
0: violent, totally right? no, makes um, but but so, then this this group of women who were all professional yeah. makers um and friends in la they found themselves one night at a party just mad yeah. and also like what can we do and so they came up with this idea um, of the list and they did it for five years and they all are, um, amazing artists in their own right. And now super successful and it's a volunteer thing. So also we're getting burnt out. So they put out a call for applications for new killers last April, I think a year ago. And, um, apparently like 200 people applied and there are 14 of us newbies and yeah, totally. Thank you. No, I'm very excited. It was like, literally, I was like, Oh my God, they're looking for members. I had heard like I had heard about what they did and then I saw the list and how they publicized it and the way they were doing it. It was really exciting. Um, and then they also did a couple of like kind of celebratory connector parties, uh, in LA that like, uh, like almost I walk, it was like the, you know, one of those things where it's like almost every writer, you know, or have heard of is in the room and you can't, you know, you walk out horse after a fantastic evening talking to everybody. Um, so they're really great that way. Um, And, and, and also it has been successful in that people are paying attention and they're using the list. Um,
1: Yeah, totally. So what it sounds like is that you survey, so you go out to like artistic directors, literary managers, and you say, what have you read Mm -hmm. maybe that you are or are not producing that was by women, trans women, uh, non-binary people Mm -hmm. um, that should be produced more?
0: Yes. Okay. Yes, and so an underproduced meaning that they have they can't have had more than one production.
1: Okay, got it. Got so it. that the
0: idea is getting more voices out there, more okay. plays that people aren't because you know and things get into a cycle of like, oh, everyone's doing this play,
1: Yes. and then
0: it doesn't go anywhere. I'm seeing out that just like that.
1: you know, I so I'm in San Diego County. Mm. Now. Um, and I'm seeing that just even in little San Diego County, like the community theaters, they're all just like passing the same play around. Yeah, totally. Like, why? Why are you doing yeah. that? Like, there's so yeah. many. Please, someone subscribe to the New Play Exchange and like do <laughs> totally. something else. Exactly. <laughs> Anything exactly. else?
0: <laughs> yeah. No, totally. And the New Play Exchange is such a great tool too that mm-hmm. I'm people are starting to find out about outside of the community. Yeah. Um. And that's yeah. And so then, so then the these, uh, the OG co rose they gave, they're basically giving it to us to take it to another level to awesome. see what we want to do with it. Um, and we're in the midst of creating a list right now.
1: Um, Fantastic. That's yeah. exciting. Yeah. Make sure I'm to really put excited a, I'll make sure to put a link to that in the show. Oh, great. To make sure that we'll get make sure people yeah, know how to, get to the, that list. Awesome. It's the
0: Kilroy's with a K, Kilroy's, uh, dot org.
1: Perfect. That's yeah. easy. Yeah. Awesome. Totally. Cool. All right. Yeah. Uh, let's actually get started. Okay. Yeah. yeah These yeah. interviews always go like this. It's, it's always like an hour of conversation. <laughs> and then, like, bunch of the questions. Uh, how did you get started in theater? Take us through the journey from that first uh. moment to <laughs> today.
0: It's a big journey. I know, but. <laughs> totally. No, it's true. Um, I, my mom took me on stage when I was three and a half, three, um, in a Gilbert and Sullivan production of Child by Jury. Um, and then I, I grew up in, up in upstate New York in Ithaca, New York. And, um, uh, there a local theater called the Hanger Theater there. And I was, first time I went on stage by myself was I was seven and I played Kim Darling Ravenall in Showboat. Oh. Um, yes, totally. But it's really, uh, this is, you know, my origin story. <laughs> I love it. Um, oh, no, totally. Cause it was, um, I was seven and um at the same this one scene in that play uh the dad of the play uh he comes to or the lead of the play he comes to tell his daughter that he's leaving and that's the scene that's it and at the same time in my my actual life my parents were breaking or my parents had split up but my dad was actually moving away um and you know i have a vivid memory which i'm not actually as sure as true totally true anymore but i know it was close um that he came to see you know they came he came to see the play and then in my mind or in my memories that he then left and drove off to uh, he moved to houston to teach at a different school um and i then turned around and walked inside and sat down in the green room with my mom and dad quote unquote from the show and played cards and everything was safe and fine, and that um, that core memory is what I always go back to when people are like, "Why do you do this? <laughs> or, what what else would you do?" And I'm like, I don't know <laughs> what else I would do. It's so deeply in my psyche as the the this is where family, safety, community, um, all of that comes from. And then you know from there I did all kinds of stuff growing up. My, I did like, you know, there was a hangar summer camp when I was 12. And I did my first real like acting classes, scene scene work when I was like 12, 13 and loved that. Um, and then worked at different places in Ithaca, like the Ithaca opera. I was a my mentor at the time, um, who was my first acting teacher, also my first voice coach. He was the artistic director of the Ithaca opera, Gary Race. Awesome, I owe a lot to him. Um and he also showed me not just acting but part of the whole or like and all the pieces like I worked on on shows in different ways from being a prop master to being, you know, his assistant director or you know, all kinds of stuff like that. And then every summer I would also try to work at the hangar theater. Um and I did some show, you know, did some plays in junior high in school and then did one in high school. And there was also a local um Kind of community theater that I was part of, and a bunch of us, you know, there I had a group of friends that we, you know, we made plays together. We were always in, you know, I was in the course of Barnum and the Music Man, and you know, did all those th- that kind of stuff. Um, and then I applied to schools, and I got into the theater school at DePaul University in Chicago, and I went there. And that's a conservatory, so I really like, really focused in on theater and what makes it and how you make it. And that program, the base was um, spolen Spolin Games and stuff like that. And very th- and also physical, just physical work. And that really also um, jived with where I was at. Was I, I grew up, I took dance classes, and but I was, you know, I was one of those big bone girls who was told she wouldn't be a ballet dancer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, dance was always a little bit fraught and then found physical theater work, which made a lot more sense and didn't make me feel weird um, about my body. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is also awesome. Yeah. Um, so, so on- yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I, I got into, I got into, in terms of that physicality stuff, I also really got into, um, I did some fight, uh, I did some stage combat in, in school and got really into that. So then when I came out of, um, when I came out of college, one of the ways that I kept, uh, was looking for acting work, but then I also started doing some fight choreography around town in Chicago. Um, and I did a number of plays in Chicago, um, mostly new work, and then um, moved out here in 96, fall of 96.
1: And out here in um, Los Angeles. Los Angeles, excuse yes. me, yes.
0: Um, and that was really, a, you know, um, I have, my mom is from here, my grandparents lived here, so I had some family to, to land with, um, and also, just had done a lot of weather on the East Coast already in Chicago. <laughs> in Los Angeles sounded like a great, <laughs> great, great change that way. You know, I left I left twelve coats behind in yeah. Chicago and, and a lot of weight. Um, the weight like just dropped a lot of weight just in terms of just all the stuff you have to to mm-hmm. take care of yourself. Um, so yeah, and I really um, and Los Angeles has. I really I, I, I love the city itself, um, and it took me a while to find my place in it. Um, I came out as an actor and found the industry to be a very difficult thing for me. Um, I wasn't real good at selling myself, or I didn't feel comfortable with it. And also, the type that I am or was at the time was, um, I was in that kind of category where they don't know what to do with you, at the, especially in that environment of the late 90s. Um, in terms of I wasn't an ingenue and I wasn't old enough to be a mom. Um, so, so they yeah. you basically
1: just don't exist, right? Right.
0: Exactly. Totally.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, there must be something wrong with me. No. If you're not trying uh, to, um, have right. a baby or take care of a baby, then exactly. you don't exist as a woman. So, exactly. You know. Totally. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Yeah. And then I, um, and I, so like, I, I
0: mean, but there were, there were Chicago people that I immediately fell in with, you know, I mean. L.A. is a town of transplants, a lot of transplants. I mean, I come from native native Angelinos, but there are a lot of transplants here and um, was able to find people to make work with. Uh, and I did some assistant directing and some stage managing and a little bit of acting and really was still trying to find my way through like, what is it? And I mean, one of the things about Los Angeles in general is that it's fast, you know, just mm-hmm. geographically, it just is. And then what I also learned is like oh and then the spread outedness of the um, the theater community, mm-hmm. um, which is just dictated by the space. But also then oh I have to seek out I have to find you know you have to find the people who are making the work that is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah so I did so I did a lot of like popped around, um, and you know went through a bit of a crisis in terms of like what am I doing you know why Los Angeles if I'm not trying to be in the industry. Is there, you know, oh, the theater I'm doing I like, but is it, yeah, you, know, you know, so different things like that. And then in 2002, I took a summer a two week summer session with the City Company, um, which is S I T I Company, uh, which is Anne Bogart's company, and because I'd seen a couple of their plays, first one being in '97, I saw culture of desire. And it kind of blew my head on the back wall. Cause I was like, what is this? Um, it was really exciting. And then they came out to UCLA and did another show and it was the same, like what, <laughs> um, cause the, their physicality, the, but the text was really complex. I mean, they were just working on so many levels. Um, and then a friend of mine was like, Hey, they're doing the, those folks you love are doing a session or doing a training session. And I'd heard about viewpoints. And, um, they're training a little bit and, you know, I'd been like doing a little research like, who are they? But they really hadn't found anything in town. Although I, I have now heard there was a couple of things before that. Um, but that 2002 workshop, I went into the training and just, it really, um, it shifted things for me in a way that the, the training really, uh, I was, re- I responded to it personally. Um, and it also, I responded to what I think the. The folks who were teaching it, and um, that summer, were talking about about what it is to be a theater artist, and that it is a good thing. In fact, you know, if not a great thing, and that it's worthy. And it was something I needed to hear for myself, but also in terms of the landscape of Los Angeles, where that is not the overall when you're talking about being a creative person here. Um, and that's changed a bit since then, but at the time, for sure. And um, yeah. And the work that I did with them was so exciting that I walked out of that training session, like, Oh, I have to, you know, find something, to get, do something, get involved or, you know, audition for things, be brave. Um, and the first thing I went, I found I, to audition for was, um, a production at Open Fist called Songs of Joy and Destitution. And I auditioned for it because it was a Chuck Me. They were mashing up a couple of Chuck Me plays. plays. And Chuck Me is a member of the city company. And my, my brain went, well, maybe I'll be able to use what I just did. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, they were looking for um, women who could uh, uh, move say, move and sing, actors who can women actors who could move and sing. And, you know, I went in and all of a sudden was, uh, was like, oh my God, I'm doing a dance audition. I'm insane. This is crazy. But just, you know, <laughs> went for it. And the, the guy who was the choreographer was a guy named Ken wrote, And the guy who was the musical director was a guy named John Ballinger. And I got into that show and they were the, you know, I worked with them primarily, the, they were working the chorus primarily. Um, and in the course of that rehearsal process, Ken said, Hey, I'm doing this thing. I don't know what it is. It's like a it's it's a little it's a variety show, but it's like about it's using all this stuff from the 99 cent only shop store. And I, it's at this space called the Evidence Room, and I was like, ah, oh, I obviously see that. And I walked into this space called the Evidence Room at the time um, on Beverly, and was like, what? This is a converted warehouse space in my neighborhood. It was it's gorgeous. And got really excited about the space. And then the variety show with 99 Cent Only thing was so over the top, out of its mind, fantastic.
1: Give us like a a quick description because I've seen it I love it. But yeah, totally. What is it? This this was
0: the very first one, too. So it was very much a variety show, a bunch Mm. of numbers that John Ballinger had written music for, I think. And uh, Ken had then choreographed and directed with members from the Evidence Room and some other folks that uh, Ken worked with. and it was all costumed uh, using items from the 99 cent only store. Um, and all these costumes were created by the mastermind, amazing queen diva, Anne Claus Farley. Mm-hmm. And Anne Claus Farley was also in it at the time. P.S. She's an amazing singer um, and, uh, and was amazing over the top as well. And um, so that, the cons- the, that was the very first one and it ran for a few weekends and it was kind of like, oh, that's fun. But it was like a big hit. Um, and then the next year and it was writer holiday ish, but like, no, it didn't have any, it was the non-denominational, I guess, what'd you call it? The non-denominational? Yeah. I don't know. Like a a holiday spectacular, not a, it wasn't about Christmas, Mm -hmm. um, or anything. Um, and so then being involved with Ken on that show, getting to know, and then he, he decided to do, another one of them the next year and this time it had a little more story um it was always it, they were so basically over 10 over the next 10 years we made eight of them i think i think it's eight over 10 years um of these 99 cent only shows and they always had original music by john i think almost all of them there might be one in there um but ken always was the director and creator of the whole thing and wrote a book for it. And there was some, you know, they were very, very frothy, but at the same time there was always something that was, um, that you could latch onto in terms of being about how the world could be accepting of people or, or, you know, inclusivity. I mean, there were all kinds of, you know, wild and wonderful things in it. Um, and people audiences really responded. I mean, we, we did, we did, and we did all kinds of things. We did an amazing one that was, um, a dinner show where they're actually you could actually sit on stage and get a four course meal through the course of the show. Um, we did a pat a, a beauty pageant where the audience would vote on the winners, and so that was you know had there was there was this wonderful um participation of the audience as well. Um, I know that I yeah. think
1: that too, and the just the atmosphere was incredibly joyful, and like everyone yeah. was just happy to be there and to be watching this thing. And it was just like, it was just fun. And yes, there were like really beautiful themes of like love each other and love yourself and all of that. But it was just like, it was just light and lovely. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Really great amazing costumes. By, yes. I mean, ah, I
0: mean that that's the, the thing. Thing. I mean, every time it'd just be like, because like they'd have these numbers and the numbers were great. But on top of it, everybody's wearing things that are made out of tablecloths. Hula so hoops crazy. and doilies and, you know, loofahs. And <laughs> I mean, held together by tape. I mean, Anne was, a, I mean, Anne and her team, she would put together a team every year. I mean, it was extraordinary. It was absolutely extraordinary what she would so make. Good. So good. Yeah, totally. So this and was the, all happening
1: yeah. at the evidence room, which became mm-hmm. the bootleg.
0: Bootleg. Yeah, totally. Totally. And I ended up, so I ended up joining uh, the evidence room as a new member in, it would have been, I guess, 2005. Um, and then within, that, was, that ended up being their last season in that space. Um, there was, you know, it was a long a company, that I joined knowing a few people, um, but the, the core of the, of the company had been together for quite some time. Um, and there was, you know, politics and, um, you know, tenure changes and things like that. It was definitely, um, a bit fraught I found out as after I had joined. And the end result of all that was that the, um, uh, Jason Leisha Adams who are, the main owners of the space that was the evidence from it is now bootleg. Um, they stepped out of the company. They had been co-founders of the company, and they stepped out of the company. And then soon after, the company uh, left the space, and they took uh, they sold all the equipment, and they took the mailing list and the five hundred one c three. And then um, Jason, Alicia, and Alicia, who I'd gotten to know through doing some plays with her, and also having just art conversation about art, um, they called me up and said. We're going to keep it a theater space. Um, do you want to come in on this with us? You'd be the only employee. And I was like, I have a BFA in acting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, I mean, I you know, it's one of those things where I was so I was so happy to hear that there was still going to be um, theater in that space because mm-hmm. uh, it's just so wonderful. Place. It really is, and then and then so that would have been I think June, technically June or end of May, two thousand six is when. We got a new 501c3 and we started working on the space and Jason did a lot of, um, work on the space in with the thought to like, make it a space that designers want to use. I mean, designers already were doing amazing work there, but he really wanted to, you know, make a good inventory. Uh, he redid the grid, mm-hmm. he took out the shin busting, um, circular staircase that used to be the down to the dressing room where you only two people you could be lucky if you got two people on it at once <laughs> be super quiet um so yeah we did that and then actually put in a wall uh, like like there had been no wall between the lobby and the theater space so you had oh, to be really? super oh, su- oh yeah super quiet in the lobby so
1: i only saw so for podcast listeners yes. um the way that I know Jess is because the theater company that I had been working with has produced several shows at the bootleg.
0: Um, Mm -hmm.
1: and I only came into it after there was already like a really nice bar space built in, in the lobby. So, uh, yeah. It's kind it's hard to explain. It's like a, it's a long space. Um, and you, when you walk in, you walk into, there's like a entry, like a foyer almost. Uh-huh, and then you uh-huh. walk in a little bit further and there's a really big, like open bar space that now also has like a stage for music. And like, it's, it's a yeah. fantastic space yeah. there. And then when you go a step past that, then you're in the theater space where there are raked seats and a really sizable stage, yeah. also, which is great. Yeah, totally. It's about 30 by 35. Yeah. it's
0: it, And it's, it's, um, Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful space. It's got this high vaulted ceiling, um, the wood and brick, and it's just gorgeous. And you know, Jason did a lot of great work on it. Um, We fixed the seating in the one direction, put in that the the back wall turned into a new larger booth, technical booth for the theater space, and then below that, then created a bar space, um, which really so really yeah, it's really wonderful. Um, So yeah, so that that and so that became my day job. Um, and that was what I, you know, basically the whole first year was hustle, 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 and try to fill it as much as possible. Um, cause just try to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, so it's a nonprofit and also teaching myself what that means. And I had a, I had a, I had a good mentor in terms of the managing directing part, um, yeah, that place would not be standing now if it weren't for Anthony Burns. Anthony Burns did, uh, like, was unbelievably helpful mm-hmm. and, ta- and taught me oodles about all kinds of things um, about theater. And, um, and then, yeah, and, the, and actually going back to that 99 cent only thing was that we, so that was June, started to do the work. Um, we did like a, I think we did a wedding at the end of the summer. And then we did a part, we, we did a, a party, a freak first party. that was super fun on for Halloween, but really trying to get the word about it, like, it's still a theater space, mm-hmm. get the word out to the community. So let's do a 99 cent only show. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, Ken was down and we did, um, Passion of the four seasons was the first 99 cent only show in what, what now was the bootleg space. And that was a really great way to uh, not only get a, a lot of people involved and, um, but then also let the, let audiences know what was happening, that, that, that it was still a performance space. Um, yeah. And from there, like basically hustling to have something every weekend. I mean, at the same time I was running the bar, I was doing all of the things, um, and, um, figuring out what that was. Cause we didn't have a company um we were staff driven and so had to also like the hustle to fill the space was to pay the bills but then also to like oh we need to pay crew and we need to do things that a company would ask their company members to do um so hustling to get that part of it going and done um and also like looking for and also became clear we were going to need to do co-producing because trying to fill the space with our own work was just and at the same time maintaining was just too much and so the idea of being the overall mission was to be an inclusive art space and to help support Los Angeles artists. So then looking for other companies that needed space um, and trying to provide that space at a, you know, a, de- a, a, a good deal and also really worked hard to try to make it so that... Because at the time, what would happen was that you know, most of your pre-production budget would go to rent. And mm-hmm. so, all the, so you're kind of you know, making do with what you have to make your show because you had to pay for the space first. So we tried to work out a way, ways for people to, or companies and people to, um, not have to use all that money up front, pay out of their box office, do guarantees, things like that. Um, mm-hmm. so trying new, new ideas like that, which and helps that to was,
1: improve the, the design quality of the work, because when you have totally. a larger, like production and development budget, then you've got, you know, you can do better, a better, show. exactly, exactly.
0: Yeah. And it, you know, it does put the, uh, you know, it puts a little more pressure on the, you. Got to sell tickets, which, yeah. you know, is is always there, anyways. But it does put a little more pressure on that. But, um, yeah, it it that that co producing worked out. I mean, your the company you came in with, mm-hmm. Rogue Artists Ensemble, is a great example of that. I mean, mm-hmm. we, yeah, we had some really, I mean. Y'all use the space beautifully. Yeah. And a, a, and it was also like, oh, look, because you can do things in that space that you can't do in a, you know, a tiny black box. I mean, which, you know, not to say but there's anything wrong with tiny black box. Yeah,
1: no, but, but like, but the company you, that but, I was working with is, yeah. is a really design-based company. Exactly. Uh, where design is a huge part of it. And and yeah. like you couldn't you can do a rogue show in a little, <laughs> in like a storefront, um, yeah. but it is definitely much better when there's a lot more space to play with and to be able to yeah. like build the the big sort of like spectacular sets and video projections and all this and puppets and all the things that yeah, uh, that totally. made up what our company was. So I know that that we were really grateful to have access to your space and to, um you know, the financial arrangements that you guys were able to create and just like having such a beautiful performance space that then also side note um having like the lobby space allowed us to also have really beautiful galas um and yeah. events and you know and just really sort of like maximize the way that we were able to uh, produce these events so yeah it was awesome yeah 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 that's great yeah like, we did, so
0: and we did we really like, tried to find as many people to collaborate with as possible mm-hmm. like I got us in on that um that uh, 365 days, 365 plays. Mm-hmm. Um, that was something that we did. One of the f- earlier things we did, and it was like, okay, get as many artists involved as possible, and hey, we're going to move the audience through all the spaces, yeah, because it, like highlight the highlighting what we had, the the resources that we had, mm-hmm. um, and then also the other big the other big artists or big artists, but big artist relationship that began at the beginning was with Roger Gander smith um, who came in uh because he lives in the neighborhood and he had done a he'd done a he'd done a show at the evidence room he one of his shows had been at the evidence room before so he was familiar with the space. Um and he just came in to check in on you know, hey what's going on? Oh okay you and, and he was like I'd love to you know make something new and I was like oh my god are you kidding? <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm gonna make a new I'm making a you. <laughs> totally so yeah
0: and so we started, you know, we did um Who Killed Bob Marley in two thousand seven. And that began a relationship with, uh, Roger in terms of not, well, creating new work and helping to support him as he was creating new work, but also, um, giving space for his uh, pieces that he'd done before that he wanted to work on or wanted to bring it back again because audiences hadn't had a chance to see them in LA, things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that's, that, yeah, that was an ongoing relationship with the theater. And also then myself as a producer and a colleague, um, I continue to work with him, which I, uh, is one of the one of my favorite artistic relationships I have. Just because I've also started out as a fan, and being yeah. able to then get to uh, get to work with him, but also get to be up close and watch an artist over many years who creates work that is relevant and watch how that happens and also how it shifts and changes. It's a, it's a, that's one of the joys of my artistic life for sure.
1: That's really cool. Yeah. So you, we kind of started, you gave me a snapshot of what you're doing now, but is there anything you want to add to, because you're no longer at the bootleg. Mm-hmm, you're totally. working with the, kil, the new Kilroy's. Um, mm-hmm. Is there anything else on your plate right now that you're excited about?
0: Ah, yes. Um, let's see. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm an ar- artist-in-residence at Thymele Arts, which is an incubator space here in L.A., um, and, uh, and I've been, uh, they, they've been really supportive of, um, myself in this new, like in this new place of what am I going to make next? Um, and in that, on that note, I'm going to, uh, be producing and I'm directing one of them. It's something called the Pussy Grabber Plays. And this was done at Joe's Pub, uh, earlier last fall. It's, uh, eight short plays that are written by, by different playwrights. Um, either about or riffing off of um, some of the women who are the truth-tellers about Donald Trump in terms mm-hmm. of uh, calling him out about sexual harassment and abuse. And um, they have packaged these plays in a way so that ideally they'll, begin, they'll get done as much as possible mm-hmm um, in that, uh, if we do, you, you, there are no rights, but you, you need to do them to raise money for women's organizations. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're doing May 11th there. That'll be a night, um, that we're doing that. So I'm directing one of those and producing it overall. What else am I doing? Um, I'm consulting on a couple of different projects that are in the workshop stage and, um, what I'm going to be, I'm going to be teaching and directing at, a. Uh, ensemble building a program called Make Trouble at in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina, from in June, July, and so tra- training a young un- an ensemble of young uh, people, and then directing them in midsummer, and then I will also be then I'll be going to Edinburgh and producing a show for Theatre of Note
1: awesome. in Edinburgh
0: this summer. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Uh, a lot, there's also a lot of different good things. I've been directing at a couple of, um, of colleges around town. I did it a show at Cal Arts last year. And this just this recently, I worked at um, Cal State Long Beach and Cal State University Long Beach, I should say. And just been really um, looking for more opportunities to be a director in different ways. Um, I, people are like, why don't you teach? And I'm like, I really like this guest artist and mm-hmm. working with young people, but I don't know that teaching is right now for me. Um, I don't have an MFA, so that makes it also a little more difficult, though I have an MFA of the street from <laughs> um, <laughs> the school of That's <laughs> right. Totally. You probably couldn't get a better a better MFA than thirteen years of bootleg. But um, <laughs> that's true. To, totally. Um yeah, yeah, Grant writing, sure, we got that course. <laughs> um yeah. Uh but but you know, so so yeah, I mean looking around for different things. I think uh, you know, this idea of wanting to um continue to be able to amplify um underrepresented voices and make uh i am interested in new work i've done more uh not to say that it's not new work but less newer (laughs) um things that are pub things that are published Uh, i I love working in the room with the playwright and actually working on a new play um but also i've more opportunities are coming up of like oh here there's there's here's this play Mm -hmm. it's a puzzle this idea that making a play can be like a puzzle in terms of Here's, here's what the thing is that you have to make. Here's the resources. This is the space that has to happen. And go. go.
1: Exactly. <laughs> totally. I love that. Totally, um, yeah. So tell us of a, any vivid memory of a time in the theater. Of a time in the theater. Oh, yeah. so many. I know. There's always, right? some, there's, there's usually yes. one that like pops up first though. Hmm.
0: Huh. I'm trying to think. Oh, uh, well in the theater. Well, I mean, I guess this was to be in the theater. It's a kind of a comp. It was the culmination of um just recently, actually a couple weeks ago, I went to see the off Broadway production of a play called I carry your heart by Georgette Kelly. And it was, so it was the, it's now the third production of that play. And that play was the winner of a playwriting prize that I got involved with and helped to oversee the process of creating the playwriting prize, doing the panel, uh, you know, reading panel, picking it. And then I ended up, I directed it it at bootleg and it was a rolling premiere between there was one in Ithaca at the hangar and then one in, uh, in, um, in at bootleg. And, The pro- And we worked with the playwright, um, both the director of the Ithaca production, Jeremy Webb, and I worked on the, we did a workshop of the play in process. So we really were in it. And then going to, and the New York production, uh, the director is a local, actually a LA director, Kate Kaplan, who had come to see the show at Bootleg and loved the play. And I connected her with the play and Georgette. And that led another what a year and a half down the road to another production. And I found myself sitting in a the theater uh, happened to be with, uh, Jeremy, who is, uh, New York based, New York city based, who's the other director, he and I, and then also two more folks, uh, who were part of the, the playwriting, uh, or, or that, the prize, the, the, the grant that had caused the prize to happen, including Andrew Shignell, who was the overall idea man for it, who is actually a philosophy professor Mm -hmm. who loves theater. And when they needed to have an, uh, uh, a um what do you call it? a public aspect for this grant that he had gotten a research grant he had gotten he was like well can I do this and all of a sudden he was able to make a way to fund new plays. I was, awesome. I, was I I always wow. bow down to Andrew and just like the genius of it. because um, I never would have thought of that. Um but all of us sitting in there in watching in this theater watching a play that had we saw from the beginning to this place and hopefully we'll have more productions. Mm-hmm. But that feeling of and it was cute, Jeremy, Jerry, Jerry Jer- I turned to each other right before it started. It was just like it's like it's our baby. And it really, <laughs> you know, it's like tally, you know, it's like we're going to going to high school graduation or something. I don't know mm-hmm. what that actually is. But you know what I mean? But it was like that that thing of like, oh, if you put, you know, you put the work and the energy and then it has life and it has legs and And then to sit and hear other voices say words that had been, you know, I had been living with for a long time and worked on with other, you know, with other actors and watching choices and similar choices, but not similar choices. And like, you know, new revelations about a a play because other voices were working on it. And, uh, you know, it was just really that it was really it was really special. um, The opportunity, but uh, the opportunity for all of it, but then also to be able to see it again. And, you know, and just sit in the theater and watch a, watch this good play that yeah. I, that I, you know, is really, yeah, that's, I guess that, that's the thing that comes up right now.
1: Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Really- <laughs> yeah. I like it. Um, what is the most important lesson that you have learned in the theater?
0: Oh, uh, mm. uh, there are, <laughs> there so, are many. so many. No, it's true. <laughs> there really are. Um, you know, I, I always say that, that when people like my, my, it, I went to a theater school, a conservatory, right? Um, and those, the training that I got was specifically about theater, but in the end, it's actually a, about being a human being and life. So, so many things that are, that are about, you know, listening and um, being in a space and being aware of my body in a space and putting energy into my voice and speaking, you know, these all come from stuff that was supposed to be like, Oh, this is for the stage. <laughs> it's like, no, no, it's, it's, for everything. Um, big, huge one for me actually came from, uh, in viewpoints work, the phrase follow your interest is often used mm-hmm. in terms of in the room was your, as cause it's, you know, it's physical improvisation in that idea of like, or what thing of like, well, what do I do now? Well, follow your interest. That's what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started, I took that out of the room and applied it to my life and it really, um, it changed things, you know, in terms of, I feel like my path opened up, my focus got more specific. Um, and I try so, to always go back to that.
1: Yeah. Is there like one example you can think of of a time when you followed your interest that it led you somewhere that you wouldn't have gone otherwise?
0: Oh, I mean the whole thing I just said about my origins or like, or the origins with the, with the, um. The city company work, mm. you know, in terms of like, I mean, that was that was me being blown away by something and being being interested, but scared of it, and then giving you know, getting an opportunity to actually like, okay, I'm going to go do this thing that's totally scary, but I was so interested in it, it didn't matter that I was afraid, yeah. and like that, then and then coming out of there and being like, well, I love that, so how do I keep? I, I'm interested in that, so how do I find more of that? And Granted, the things that I found weren't necessarily exactly that, but they then led into these other things that, you know, I mean, going into audition for that play, that check me play literally led to me walking into the space that I then would run for, I mean, it's like, Mm -hmm. it's crazy that way. And it was because I was like, I want to do that. I want to do something with what I've just learned. I want to figure out how to do this. Um, So I
1: think that's, yeah, I mean, that's a good one. That is a really good one yeah, like it, and it's so simple, right? like <laughs> right? what what well, are you interested in? like, go go do that. Totally. yep. Just do yep. it. Um, what is a challenge that you're facing right now? Uh,
0: time management, man, and prioritizing. Oof. just in this in <laughs> in terms of this totally. well, like the freelance, you know, and this idea of freelance and you know how to make a living, it's also like saying yes to a lot of maybe one quote unquote, smaller things, but they're not actually small. But it's not like, oh, this is a job that's going to last for months. It's going to, you know, this is a job that's going to last for two months. This is a job that's going to last for two weeks. And how to put my get those things done and also, you know, how to manage my day when I don't have a structured, I have to go be at this place because someone's going to, I have to clock in here. Uh-huh, and I have same. to clock out here.
1: <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, I'm like, like, what am I in, like three years into entrepreneurship and still, still, I'm just like... Someone just needs to tell me like when I'm supposed to be in my office. <laughs> like, right. If someone else. No, hours. Totally. it would be a lot easier, but you know,
0: I feel, I feel <laughs> because like part of my artist residency at time. Mealy is that I have a desk in their shared office space. And I feel totally guilty because I'm not there every day at the same time. It's like, but that's not what today is. Mm-hmm. You know, today is the, these things and these, or I have to go to meetings or I have to go to this. And then also finding that time of like, and can I just take a walk? Or, you know, the thing that is like, I need to do something that's just for me. It's so easy to f- like, you know, open the phone and all of a sudden I'm answering email again. Yep. You know, and it's because you know, it feels like, oh, I'm getting this done. i it done real quick. And then, you know, half an hour later, I'm like, oh, well, there it goes that. Okay. Yeah. 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 So
1: that, that is, that is proving to be very tricky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. Thank you. I'm starting to ask. I I just decided to start asking that question, mm-hmm. not in any efforts to solve it, but just so that we all know that we all have, like, you know, I'm interviewing all of these incredible, totally, like, accomplished, beautiful, like, badass women who are doing incredible things, but we all have challenges, and I think it's really yeah. to be transparent about that, because no one needs to like, like, we don't need more Instagram in our lives. We don't need more like other people's polished totally. highlights. We need real. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, a Good question. Alrighty. Oh, this is my favorite. Okay. Okay. What is one thing that you do in your theatrical work that if I did it in my own life, my life would be better?
0: Mm, I mean, the, the, listen, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's so, you know, there's so many things, listen and breathe. I mean, that's literally, I mean, it's, it sounds, it's the simplest at the same time as, it's the hardest i mean you know yeah listen breathe and believe in myself i mean those are the those those things yeah
1: yeah what does listening look like in this context like if i take uh, it out of this the theater and put it into life
0: mhm i mean listening to me is not just listening to voices or it's not it's not just words that you're listening to or people's words it's listening with your whole body. It's um, listening to how the wor- what the world is doing around you. Mm-hmm. Um, that can, and, and I, I used to, used to take, um, I had a, a technique teacher in, uh, at the theater school called uh, John Jenkins. And he used to take us on sensory walks. And literally it was just like, just walk and be quiet and listen to the world around you. And, in work that I've done since then, it's interesting because, uh, ways of pl- placing my learning or learning about are ways of placing myself in space theatrically, like that have to do with a different kind of listening, um, in terms of sending my hearing out further. And that's how, you know, also so that I'm present in the whole, um, that I definitely try to do in my life. Um, Listening also, you know, it's listening in a, it, I, I do a lot of listening and I've been on a couple of boards, you know, and things like that. And just sit, and I'm just going to listen to whatever, what people are saying. Also, because more often than not, people will talk themselves mm. either into the thing that you saw coming or out of whatever they're doing. And so I'm saving, a lot of times it's about saving my energy and being specific mm. with my thoughts. Um, and so listening is a big part of that. Um, breathing, man, I forget, I forget, forget that all the time. And breathing is, breathing drops me into my whole body. Um, not just like, oh, I'm in my lungs, but also like, if I take a breath, all of a sudden it's like, oh, my shoulders are up around my ears. Why is that? Okay. Right. You know, oh, I need to plant my, I need to unlock my knees and plant my feet. I just learned that because I took a breath. Um, So those, yeah. And then, and then the believing in yourself, you know, it on one level, sometimes it's a lot, it can feel a lot easier on the stage, right? Because there are givens and you don't have to think about certain things. You just have to get to these, you know, tell the story like the playwright wants so that you can give up a little bit of whatever it is that you might be carrying that's insecure or whatever, because I have to do this because here's the task. Um, but there's a belief in myself that comes from doing that action um, and practicing that action of just doing um, and then realizing, oh, I did that. Oh, I did that. Oh, I did that. Um, that leads to a confidence that I think, I mean, I'm still. Mean, it's a constant process of believing. Um, and I come up against that a lot. Oh, you know the other one? What? just thought of this. Oh, tell me. How to define success. Oh. Um, because I learned there was a, there was a very specific moment um, when I was first, like, one of the first shows I produced at Bootleg. And I had been really being walked through it by my mentor. And, like, in terms of, like, here, do all the, the spreadsheet, in, like, in terms of spreadsheets and projections and, um, you know, capacities and things like that, learning about all that stuff. And I had done, you know, I'd done, I had done, I had lowballed it, you know, just because, you know, that's what you want. And I've learned lowball it. So you'd be surprised, but I'd done all this stuff. And I then after the, after the run was over, came back to talk about it. And the only thing I kept saying was it wasn't successful because I didn't sell out. Mm. It wasn't successful because it didn't sell out. You know, I didn't say it wasn't that, that was why. And then it was like, no, go back and look at what you predicted. Did it do what you predicted? And it did. At the same time as it didn't sell out, Mm -hmm. and so I had to, I had to like go. Oh wait, it was actually successful because it did actually do what I said it was going to do. It didn't, it didn't go like the the, what what you know. Everyone thinks that success is like you know over the top of the moon or whatever. Over the you know over the top top of the moon. Just like you're going to make a million dollars. If you don't make a million dollars, you're not successful yeah and it was a real like, oh, if i it, the idea of planning and why to plan and to look at that and how how I live my life then of like setting goals up and making sure that they, i have, I have goals that are that are doable and goals that are dreams, mm-hmm. you know Absolutely. and so then so then being able to being able to turn to myself and being like no, you are, you are successful because look at these things that you have done. No, you haven't done all of the big things or you haven't done, you know, you, whatever those, those big goals are. It doesn't, it doesn't mean I am not successful. And therefore also this whole belief in myself, like yeah. how to continue to believe and build my confidence. Um, and I'm to, a big
1: yeah. fan of setting goals that are around things that we have control over. Mm. But ultimately you don't have control over how many people buy tickets. Like you don't have control over whether or not you sell You do have control over how you market and how many people you reach with your marketing. You have control over how many emails you've sent and how many phone calls you've made to your network. Like that's the stuff you have control over, right? Yeah. So it's like, you can just let go of the results of that. If you can check off, like, these are the things that are going to get me to that other goal, the thing that I don't actually have control over. But if I control what I can control, then I can count it as a success, even if it didn't turn out numbers wise in a way that might've hoped, you know? Yep. Yep. So I'm a big fan of that. But I also really love having big dreamy, like impossible goals, you know, that you just totally striving for that you'll never get there and you know that you'll never get there, but you're like, I'm just going to keep dreaming about it anyways, because yeah. Why not? Right. Yeah, yeah totally. Mm-hmm. Well, it, and
0: it goes with that, you know, that thing that, what is it? The, the letter, I can't ever, I get it backwards all the time. Is it either, it's either Agnes DeMille to Martha Graham or Martha Graham to Agnes DeMille. The, the letter, it's the one about like that. basically you'll, artists are never satisfied. Oh yeah. There is no satisfaction. And that, you know, you can take that either as like, oh, you're always going to be frustrated mm-hmm. or it's always in process mm-hmm. and it's always, you know, there are going to be you know d- that again figure out what the successes are so that you can keep moving forward and yeah. not get bogged down in like well i didn't you know that wasn't this kind of success so i give up
1: yeah because you know? nothing's ever going to be perfect like totally th- that's impossible it doesn't mean we should stop trying for it <laughs> absolutely it just means we have to like like celebrate what we can and continue moving forward right yeah 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 awesome. no it's yeah totally
0: there's that last um One of the last paragraphs of Anne Bogart's uh, book of essays, um, A Director Prepares, Mm -hmm. it's about basically, she's like, let me offer you some advice. And one of the first things is don't wait. Don't wait Mm -hmm. for it to be perfect. Don't wait to have all of the things in place. Don't wait, you know, and I really took that. I mean, (laughs) it was one of those things I would write in all of, you know, every new notebook, you know, (laughs) just like,
1: yeah, totally. I'm just like, you know, go for it, you know, and try. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, It's great. I kind of did that with this podcast. I was like, I could have waited until I had like, like soundproofing all over my room and like, until I, like I could have not launched until I had like 20 interviews locked in, like, you know, but I just was like, you know what? It's going to be what it's going to be. It's not, I'm never going to start with it in a perfect place. Like there's always going to be ways to improve. So I might as well just like put it out there and like, get it started. You know, nothing wrong with that. Uh Uh Okay. Jess, uh, should theater be accessible. So, okay. I used to ask this question, should theater be required life curriculum? Mm. And my interview guest this morning called me on that, uh, in a really wonderful way. And so I'm going to reword it somehow, something like, should theater be accessible life curriculum to every human on the planet? Yes. Why? (laughs) The real question Um, here is the why, right? Totally. (laughs) Yes. Um,
0: I mean any art making process means self reflection and self discovery and also particularly theater it creates empathy and that that is necessary um for everyone and I think theater has a, 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 a more of a, a it does that. Maybe I think all I think all artists have a sense of have empathy just because you are being creative and you are reflecting the world. Um, but in particular, because theater is a collaborative act, um, for you know for everybody, even even the writer has to at some point get in the room with people. Um, so it, the, the level of empathy that can be created or, or, or that muscle that can be worked, that is, that leads to empathy or causes empathy, um, is it's exponential with theater. Um, and you know, I mean, it's so, it's, it also, it's getting getting up in front of just literally getting up in front of people and it doesn't i don't mean getting up in front of like a a, a giant house full of people i mean some of the best work i've done is in composition work where you know it was for an audience of 20 fellow students or whatever you know and but it's still it's still having that moment with people live where you are seen in some form or another way and allow yourself to be seen Um, and those are, those are, those will create, it also creates like, uh, confidence and bravery and ways to step into, um, to understand stepping into unknown situations or, you know, my favorite, my favorite theater people are so good at working with strangers, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it has to do with the audience. I mean, the audience is always, almost always strangers, but also just in general, like bringing a group of people together. Who probably who may never have met, and within you know a day, hours, weeks, whatever, you've created something mm-hmm. together. Which in in that act of creation, you have to you know find you have to communicate, and you have to um, you have to find some kind of way of working so that everyone's voices are heard, or else it you know it will turn into something. I mean, not every experience is fantastic, but on some level, there has to be a, that that has to be part of it. Um, in order for it just even to happen, you know, even in, even in solo work, there's somebody there, it's not just one person on stage, there's somebody in the booth or there's somebody who's been working with that person or, you know, so there is a collaboration which, um, I think influences people as they head out into the world. Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of people that I went to school with, aren't necessarily making theater anymore, mm-hmm. but I know they're using those skills I know in and, and, and their lives in all kinds of ways you know absolutely.
1: They yeah. fall into what uh, the grown-up theater kid category yeah right just, for me, it's like people who were theater kids at whatever mm-hmm. age that that was for them um, and then move on to do something else with their lives um, but take all of those skills and that experience and all those relationships with them right? Yeah. Massive. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this is your chance to plant a seed in the hearts, minds, spirits, or all three of the people who are listening today. What do you want them to know and take with them?
0: Um, that's a good question. Thank well, you. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, Hmm. It ties into, well, to figure out how to be, everyone is a, artists are a reflection of the world around us. And I want to encourage, especially, I mean, artists who are practicing, artists who are thinking about it. um, I think it's really important right now to reflect the actual world around us. And it may not be pleasant all the time. And I think it's really important to do that right now. It always is. But in particularly right now, um, there's a phrase that's been, uh, I heard in a board meeting <laughs> that, I, that I have then applied to my life, um, which is to be the lighthouse, not the spotlight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that a lot because it says to me that you are, I am standing I'm working on standing in my own space. And at the same time, I'm shining my light out to show the world what is, what is around us and what is coming. And hopefully that will be, that will add some guidance or it can be guiding, but it's up to the people coming, people seeing it to decide what it is. Um, yeah, there's something about, the and it, it ties into that empathy as well. But yeah, the more we can reflect for each other, um, I think the better we're off we're going to be as a, as you, and just in terms of the whole culture.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. No, you're welcome. All right, Jess, if, if anyone who's listening today wants to contact you to be friends with you or hire uh-huh. you or talk to you about your experiences and what you're doing, what is the best way for them to get in touch? Um, I have a website. I will update it. <laughs>
0: <Right>. <laughs> this is like on, on my, this is the things about, you know, being, a, being the time, you know, time of how I spend my time, but also like focusing on putting that out there. My mm-hmm. website is just And then also I am Jessessa, J E S S E S S A on Instagram. You can find me there, or I am yes. Queen Jess on Twitter.
1: Awesome. And those Why are probably the best you on Instagram or Twitter. Find, Find me. That's ridiculous. Find me.
0: <laughs> my I know we're Facebook my, friends and have right, been for like 10 years or whatever. Yeah, exactly. My <laughs> in, my Instagram tends to be a lot of me showing the programs and the shows I'm seeing. I see a lot, a, lot of, plays. That's a lot of play.
1: amazing. Mine is a lot of knitting and my cat at the moment. <laughs> 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 Which is like, Comfortable, hey, pretty good. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time today. Um, My For pleasure. sharing your energy and your experience with everyone who's listening and with me today. Um, and thank you for the work that you do in the world to continue raising marginalized voices and build the theater community in Los Angeles and nationally. Right. Appreciate thank it. Thank you. I very much appreciate what you're making. Thank you so much. That's all for today. If you want to chat about what you've heard, learn about upcoming episodes before they drop, or simply say hello... Follow Find Your Light Podcast on Twitter and Instagram at FYL Podcast or on Facebook at Find Your Light Podcast. Remember, you can email the Find Your Light team, which is me and Soupy the Undercover Kitty with feedback, suggestions, love notes, or cat treats at podcast at emilystamets.com. And you can find me, Emily Stamets, at Stamets on your favorite social media platform. Until next time, stand confidently center stage and enjoy your show.